self-motivation, determination, persistence, hard work, and you are what you eat. Enjoy my discussion with Lara Lutati. Lara Lutati, co-founder of Vitable, welcome to Discipline. Thank you. Thanks for having me. When you were a young girl growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I wanted to be a pilot in the army. Oh, wow. I think, I think my dad was um, always really interested in planes and the army. So I kind of wanted to, you know, I was kind of daddy's girl. So I wanted to make him happy. So when I was a kid, I always wanted to go to, to the army. I remember that. But then I think when I grew older, I, you know, I went to the army school, I guess, because you could go after at year 10, you could uh, go into a high school. And I just look at the processes and um, everything that went be- behind it. And actually, I didn't really like that okay. um, attachment to like French government. And I wasn't really appealed by it. So then I, at year, in year 10, I decided to become a copywriter, okay. <laughs> which was a big, uh, a big difference it's because I read a book about advertising and I really liked the creati- creativity okay. behind it. All right. Well, some things already make sense. Then. <laughs> um, and you told me before I had assumed you might have grown up in France, but you grew up in Morocco. Correct. So what was that like? Uh, you know, was there a lot of business influences or was it more you're just thinking about the air force and the army at that time <laughs> i come actually i come from a very small city in morocco it's called agadir it's near the ocean yes and i just i don't know i think i had a really chilled and nice childhood um i i used to see my parents for lunch every day wow. for dinner every day yeah. because we had that luxury of being able to be picked up and go home and have some help so it was pretty nice yes um but then in terms of my, my dad is an architect so he he's a bit entrepreneurial he started his own business he had his own architectural firm he had his right. own architect okay. ar- ar- architectural firm and uh and my mom is um was initially actually a mom at home but I think when I turned six and my, I have an older sis- sister who is five years older than me, I think she, she started to get a bit bored and she wanted to find a meaning. So she started her to study again. So she was quite, she was 35 by then. So she studied again and she studied um, interior, interior design. Okay. And she joined my dad in her firm. I never thought I would start my own business, but now that I reflect on it, um, my parents have probably kind of inspired me. Yeah. You've seen that that's something that people can do. So Exactly. So you went to France. When when did that happen then? Were you a bit older than year 10 or? Yes. So I was, it's after year 12. So after high school. So I was 17. I was like a year, a year ahead. And at 17, um, like a lot of my friends, I, I moved out of home and I went from Morocco to France yep. on my own. 17. 17. And your parents were happy with that? It's just there were not many opportunities to study, to do, to go to a good university in Morocco. It's a bit, you know, it's a developing country. So the the academic level wasn't really good. And I don't know if you know about it, but French people are very, very into, um, you know, going to the best school and going to a good business school or a good engineering school is very important. So I was brought up thinking that, 
there was no other way than going to a good engineering school or a good um, whatever a medical school or lawyer. You probably have the same kind of you know parents in Australia who yes. want their kid to be a doctor or a lawyer. Professional parents, yes, that's exactly me. My yeah. parents wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. My sisters are doctors and lawyers. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, I was lucky enough for them not to push me to choose. Um, to 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 be a doctor or to be a lawyer or anything else, um, they just wanted me to always try my to be the to be very good at school, to have enough choice, um, and so that's what I did. I was quite good at school, even though if I didn't really like school, I was I had discipline issues at school, um, and, but I was really good. I had really good grades, and uh, and so sorry. Back to <laughs> when I went, I went back. So I decided to go to France yep. to go to study, and at the time I wanted to be copywriter. So I decided to go to a communication an university that offered a degree in communication. So that is kind not kind of the ideal uh, academic, you know, um, track that parents usually like but my parents were open and also telling look if you're happy if you had good grade if you have good grades we're happy for you to go to do that yes so 17 moved to bordeaux yes. south of france oh, terrible <laughs> you like wine so yes you know. <laughs> very <laughs> you much <laughs> and uh, i moved there found an apartment yes and uh it was really hard at the beginning because after two weeks i got robbed yeah. So Horrible. yeah, I was out with friends and some and people got in my apartment. And you staying by yourself as I a seventeen year old. Exactly. Wow. So I couldn't even sign my lease. Like I had to have my uncle who lived in France to sign my lease. So it was a bit yeah, it's it's a big at the time you're super excited and you're like, Oh my god, I'm going to move on my own, everything is fine. And I think you realize afterwards that it was really hard. I uh, need it is really hard for a kid to because you're still a kid. Yeah, I think it's. I look back at what I knew at 17. I mean, yeah, it was a proper child. <laughs> exactly. Very immature. So yeah. That's a big immature. move. That was a big move, yeah. And you, and you weren't thinking when you're doing university about going into like people at university do now, they think about be, becoming a business owner or an entrepreneur. You weren't, you were still thinking going down that advertising, copywriting route. Yep. And that's what you eventually did. You, you moved to Spain. Yes, I moved to Spain, but that's, uh, yeah, so I did two years of uh, communication and then I did an internship. It's very common to do internships during summertime okay. in Europe. Yes. So I did an internship in Paris in an advertising firm okay. and I didn't like it at all. Right. And why? Because there was, I mean, I'm going to, long story short, but basically they, they have been, since I read that book, there had been a law in France that uh, made the the margins that uh, advertising agencies were getting from their client much 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 smaller yes. because there was more transparency on yeah. media uh, buying and so on and so um, agencies were under a lot of pressure and there was no creativity anymore there was no Gosh. room for um, everything that actually was excited about so the clients would give give you a brief and you will have to do exactly what they, what they were telling you no creativity so I didn't really like it and I'm Grateful I actually did that internship before continuing further. Because you would have continued probably if you hadn't have seen the what the ugly side of it or the I think so, definitely because you know, now that I think about it I don't know, at the time I didn't really know where I was going. I was kind of maybe a bit, you know, passive into like what okay, I'll I'll get my I'll finish my year, um, and then I'll do another year of something else and then so I didn't have that kind of end object, objective of where I should be and I didn't know that 
many things were possible. And I think we'll go back we'll go back to that yeah, later. Right. So tell me about this move to Spain where you take a job at uh, Dracon Partners or yeah. um, data entry, client proposals. Sounds like really starting from the bottom up here. Um, what did that teach you about yourself and, and business at that point in time? It was really hard, actually. So I actually decided to go to Spain. So, uh, so after the copywriting fail, I decided to go to something that was a bit more gen- generalist. Um, generalistic, I don't know how you <laughs> say it, sorry. Because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after the copywriting. I was a bit lost, but I could not, um, in my with my parents, I could not take a year off or not know where to go. So I decided to go to finance. <laughs> Random, right? But I had heard that finance was good because you could make money in finance. Right, okay. That's for, so to answer your question from earlier, yes, I was a kid and very immature at the time because that's the kind of choices I was making. So I went to Spain and um, I joined, instead of taking it easy for a year, I did what they called at the time the Erasmus program. So it's a year where it's an exchange, you, you join another school um, and then you, you select a su- subject. So for me, it was finance. It was the first time in my life I was doing finance. And uh, at the same time, I decided to join Dracon Partners <laughs> and as an apprentice. Yes, yeah. And that was really hard because when I first went to Spain, I didn't speak Spanish properly. Um, I knew from school, I had some notions, but I I was terrible. I couldn't really, I I knew hola uh, and that was about (laughs) it. So it was really, really hard at the beginning, but, and that's where the discipline kicked in. I decided to learn how to speak Spanish as quick as possible. And I really put my mind to it and it was super hard. Um, And I I was telling you, Earlier, I had headaches and I wanted really to cry every time I was going to bed because it was so hard for my brain and for my... And, you know, you you get slaps in the face all day because you don't know how to express yourself. Yeah. So... When after the, the first three months, I started to really feel more comfortable talking, so I became easier. But I had at the same time that work where, where I needed... It was kind of sales, when, so I needed to recruit new customers with my um, level of, of Spanish. And at the same time, I was learning finance, corporate finance, financial markets in Spanish and doing um, also uh, having tests and exams in, in Spanish. So when I reflect, I loved my year in Spain, but I think I've... At the time, I probably put too much pressure on myself. Yeah. But it must have been a huge period of growth as well. Like, 100%. Yeah, like opening horizons to different areas of work and different languages and, and seeing what you're capable of, whether you, you didn't crack under that, you got through it. Yes. Um, must look, Yeah, must look back and go, gee, I learned a lot. I learned a lot, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. After that, you go and take on a research analyst role in an oil and gas company so that was a school project actually okay yeah and we worked with uh, the oil and gas company um, very closely to deliver that project but that was part of my school um, of my degree my business degree so and, that, and that's not satisfying any of your creative outlet i assume no i i, I didn't like it because we were working with a big <laughs> one of the top <laughs> oil and gas company in the world and that was very uh, process heavy and um same no create no it was a creative project, but there was no room yeah, right. for creativity. Yeah. And then, you know, just to go to a small company after that, you go to Deloitte, <laughs> one of the big four accounting firms. I mean, what, what led you there? If, uh, you know, you've got this 
big company, you're into finance now and you end up at Deloitte. Did, did you want to be a partner? <laughs> no. Again, I, it's, it's good. This discussion is really good because I can see, you know, how, again, how mature I was. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the story. But I, so back to that business school objective, right? There are a few uh, business schools in French that are recognized at the top elite, elite you know, elite um, business school. And the top one is HEC, it's called, and the second one is ESSEC, and it's the school where I went to. And usually in France, to go to, into this school, you have to do two years of crazy, crazy, you lock yourself in a room, you study heavily, and you, you do a, what they call a competition, if I trans translate, and then you get into the school. Right. So I took an, a different path just because that's not me. And I, because I had another diploma, uh, which was at the time, I think four years of, of study already, I could also, I could apply separately and get, and get into the school. And I got into the school. Uh, I was, uh, so I got through the test piece. Um, and then the, there was a logic and quite a heavy, uh, mathematic and, um, statistic uh, test. And then I had the, um, interview. Piece. And during the interview, I'm, uh, there was the HR, the, the HR director of Deloitte and then a, a teacher and then an alumni. That's kind of how they were setting up the, the, the class. And, the, and I, when I saw Deloitte for the first time on the, on the card, on the, on the door, I thought it was, it was saying Deloitte and Associates. And I thought it was a law firm at the time because I had never heard of Deloitte before. <laughs> so I was like, why am I interviewing with a, with a lawyer? I don't understand. Anyways, that went well. I got into the school and then I received a bill at home. And they tell me, um, you need to pay 40,000 euros uh, for your, your two to three years of study to come. And I didn't think about it. <laughs> So I, I w my parents at the time couldn't couldn't afford the forty thousand. Um, I mean that's yeah. I mean that's quite a big bill for anyone to just get in the mail without notice. Yeah, right. <laughs> without notice in the mail. So they were. Um, I saw that and I I realized okay. I I didn't even think about it. But there were options. There there um, there were a few banks that would partner. I, I guess similar to. Australia, but a few banks that can partner up with the school and offer a loan, student loan. Yeah. But I thought uh, immediately, I thought, I don't want a student loan. I don't want my first salary to uh, to have to pay school. I want to find a way to pay school up front. And my, I, I'm not the kind of person who would push my parents to put themselves in the bad situation. So I, my parents were a no-go for me. Because yep. I knew that if I had pushed, they could have. They would have done it. But I didn't want to. So what did I do? I looked at um, the I looked at the people I did my interview with because they were the only contacts I had at the, at the school. So Deloitte and Associates. <laughs> and I Googled. <laughs> I didn't know if LinkedIn, I don't know if LinkedIn existed at the time or was a thing. But anyways, Google find, found her, Deloitte, um, management consulting, consulting firm, finance. And I thought, okay, you know what? I'll just try my best. So I contacted, I think the... Secretary of Deloitte. Imagine today, I think no one will have responded to me. There wouldn't have even been a phone number anymore. Exactly. You'd just so, go into a pile of messages somewhere, which someone, a computer would look at. Exactly. And so I contacted the secretary and I said, look, I really want to contact this person, uh, Pascal, which is also, it's a uh, woman and, and a man's name in, in France. Um, I would like to contact Pascal. Can you tell her? Can you tell, now that I think about it, um, can you please tell her that it's Laura and she did my, um, 
uh, interview for ESSEC, I got in, I want to thank her. And they forwarded the email and she said, hey, I'm so glad, how can I help you? And I said, well, I'm looking for a way to pay for my school. <laughs> yeah, 40,000 euros, please. <laughs> can, can I join you in a, to do an apprenticeship? Wow. And because you could do that, you could uh, join, do 20% on your student were doing apprenticeship. So you, they pay for your school, they pay you a thousand euro per month, and you go, you do school on, uh, school off, and the other time is obviously the, the apprenticeship. I mean, that's the perfect solution, isn't it, really? I, exactly. Yeah. And then she told me, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we stopped doing apprenticeship a couple of years ago. It wasn't working for us. And I never take no for an answer. So look, I, I wrote like a long essay on why I think I thought that doing an apprenticeship at Deloitte was a really good idea. Um, and that I really, I would really like, because she was HR director, like, didn't she want to build relationship also with the school and make sure that they could get good junior, good quality junior. And, and I think two days later, she said, okay, we'll reopen apprenticeship. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Must have been incredible. Have you got the letter? I, uh, it's probably in my emails, yeah, actually. you have to go back and see what was in that letter. It's true. <laughs> Maybe I'll see how, how, how convincing it was. But she reopened apprenticeship in the department and I joined. Uh, they paid for the 40,000 euros. And initially, I did two days at Deloitte, three days at school. Um, but that was a bit crazy. So then I did three months on, three months off. That was a bit, right. a bit easier. So you can focus just on exam or just on your work. Yes. And I... Absolutely. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I think Deloitte was, you know, a lot of people criticize management consulting. Um, I think it teaches you so much structure, methodology. Yes. A lot of really, really good things that then you can take away and utilize in another, in a different role. Yeah. I don't think anyone criticizes management consultants because everyone knows they're super bright and super methodical. I guess the the criticism that comes from inside yeah yeah so you know <laughs> it's all all care and no responsibility mm. and so it's great to come up with all these ideas and but at the end of the day you hand it over and someone else has to execute it and yeah i think that there's no risk uh, once the bill's paid sort of thing yeah definitely yeah. but yeah it's mostly um the, the the critics i'm talking about are more people who have done management consulting or are still doing management consulting yeah, and not yeah. necessarily enjoying it but they feel and, and that's how i felt as well feel that there's no exit for them they don't know exactly what to do after after that yeah so how did that finish up and you find your way to Australia? Because uh, from memory, it looked like you took a bit of time off at one point. You actually did get your gap year. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It's funny. To, it's actually really interesting to go through uh, everything like this. I had never, uh, never really done it. And it's, um, yeah, it's good. So Deloitte, I finished my apprenticeship, graduated. They made me a really good offer to join them as juniors. I was a junior, sorry. And I think there was a part of me that was like, okay, I owe them. They've paid for my studies. Yeah. I, I should at least join them <laughs> for a little bit. So I, I did. I joined them. I worked, kept working really hard. And after, I think at the end of three and something years with Deloitte, I just had that realization, you know, what I was looking, okay, I, I don't want it to sound mean, but I was looking at my partners and my manager and I could see that most of them were getting divorced. They were never, never seeing their kids. 
And it sounds like, you know, I'm generalizing, but really, like, I saw a lot of them, at least in my department, uh, who, like, who were going through all these things. And I was thinking that, and they didn't seem happy. Uh, I think more importantly, yeah. <laughs> they didn't seem happy. And uh, I looked at, I looked up and said, I want to work somewhere where I look at my colleagues, and I absolutely love my colleagues at the yeah. same level who are having a lot of fun. But I look at people above me, and I want them to inspire me. Yeah. And I couldn't find this in in cons- in my department yeah. in consulting they probably don't exist yeah and so i decided to leave because i so initially i, I just looked at other opportunities and in france it's it's very different f- from here i feel at least from my experience it's hard to kind of recycle with <laughs> a co-recycle because if you don't have exactly the line on a resume that says you've done this before it's really hard for companies to trust you. Yes. And startups were not really a thing at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just decided to leave. Uh, I said, okay, I want to travel a little bit. I want to reflect, think about what is what my next move is. How old were you? 25. Oh, so super young. Still a bit young. I yeah. started working, actually, the apprenticeship was at 21. Yeah, I mean, so that's I kind very of young. went yeah. really, really quick. And I started looking at where I could go and yeah. I'd, I'd had a little bit of savings but not enough to to take me through a whole year so I wa- I needed somewhere where I could work where I could work at a decent salary obviously because if you go to I don't know um, Morocco for example you wouldn't be able to sustain your lifestyle so somewhere I can work somewhere where I I will have time to explore different areas and um, you know bonus points if there is sun Yes. And surfing because I surf. Yes. And um and for me that was a great opportunity to to surf again. So Australia ticked all the boxes. Actually Australia and New Zealand ticked all the boxes, but I thought New, New Zealand was too small. So yes. I decided and to go to too cold. And it's also too cold, yeah. <laughs> so twenty January twenty fifteen came to Australia, landed went to Bondi Beach, yep. obviously, we, and I was lucky enough to have um, a few friends from Paris who knew a couple of people in Bondi, so they introduced me to a noisy group, a French group, and, uh, and I met a few people like that. So yep. I worked in hospitality. Yes. And then after a few months, I realized that I wanted to stay probably for another year, and I was on a working holiday visa at the time. So if you want to stay for another year, you need to do some farm work. So I thought, Why okay, not? I'll do some farm work. So I ended up doing two different ones. And one was uh, far north Queensland. Yes. Nor- just before Cape T- Tribulation. Beautiful. What In, a spot. It was amazing. So yeah. it's an organic um, tropical fruit farm. Yeah. And I worked there for uh, a month and a half. In the Dane Tree. In the Dane Tree. Wow. So it was a bit of a, of a clash at the beginning. I was not used to all the mosquitoes, sandflies, green ants, spiders, Crocodiles? Everything. <laughs> well, but I loved it. And then my second one was cattle farm near Wagga Wagga. Yeah, wow. That's a great spot as well. Yeah. And it was a gra- it was grass-fed Angus. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, so not much to do, to be honest, on a cattle farm. You need to check the fencing and you need to check that they have water and move them from paddock, one paddock to another. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. it. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, a really good... Uh, snapshot of what australia is the diversity of like the you know the red flat dry land and then the rainforest up north and then the beach at bondi yes so you're in australia done some 
backpacking. More. What did you think you'd find career-wise here? What, what what were you looking for? What did you you wanted to stay? What did you think that next move was? I think I always thought in the back of my mind, um, and but without really acknowledging it, and and I think it's part of what I call you know the immature passive side. It's you know. I, w- I want to do something. I don't really think about the strategy behind it and then I'll do it. And that's why I did my whole life. Um, and even if it took me somewhere, you know, comfortable in the end, that was not necessarily the path I would have chosen if I had the choice now. Um, uh, but I knew I wanted to do something more creative from the beginning. The copywriting yeah. thing always stayed on the back of my mind. I, want, I didn't think I was entrepreneurial. I always thought I, I wasn't actually. But I wanted to do something where I could have an impact. Uh, and it's funny now when I talk to people who talk about startup, it's what they say is, I want to see the result of what I'm wow, doing. I had this exact conversation on the plane this morning. Yeah? Yep. And it's exactly that. It's finally having a purpose, I think, somehow, not you know necessarily for your whole life, but at least in what you're doing every day in your, in your day-to-day yes. job. Yes. And so I, I thought I was just thinking about that. And I remember I decided to stay for another year and, and I could because I had the visa after the farm work. And so I wanted to do to get a proper job, what you call a proper job, to move away from hospitality because that was not sustainable. And one of my friends who worked at EY told me, uh, oh, Lara, if you want, I can get you in, in EY super easily. You just have to give me a resume. And now... A part of me was extremely tempted because it was the easy. It's what I knew. How, what you know, yeah, I knew how to do it. Yeah. I did it at Deloitte. It's um, it's salary. It's salary because I was kind of really tight at the time without money. Why not? And I had met my partner who is Australian, uh, and we, we were uh, together at the time. And he was amazing in the fact that he he stopped me and he was not afraid of telling me, "Are you kidding me?" you are going to go back there and it's the reason why you flew all the way to Australia. And that was good. That was like, it kind of shook me up. And I was like, actually, you're you're right. Thank you. Because I don't want to do that. So I turned down the offer and I saw an ad uh, and I looked on Seek. And I remember, and it's super funny because I don't remember why, but I remember typing product development and food. Yeah. That, that I really I went there, but I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and I Hello saw Fresh. one ad, and that was Hello Fresh. And because I had a couple of friends who worked at Hello Fresh, I don't know. You have this thing within French people that I still don't understand. But it's like, oh, oh you don't want to join the same group. You know, like you already see them uh, outside. Okay. You don't necessarily want to see them at work either. So kind of forgot about it but the job description was me consulting background don't necessarily need experience in food someone who is you know creative someone who understands the psychology of your customers and someone who can be autonomous and i just i just thought that was me so i i couldn't stop thinking about it for 10 days i think i was lucky they didn't find someone yeah yeah that's a long time and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't care. So I reached out to one of my friends and said, look, I applied through Seek, but it w- it's always nice to, you know, tell the HR there, hey, my friend applied, I, I, I recommend her. And he, so he did, which was really nice of him. And I got uh, an interview and we got along really well. And I think our, we had very, very aligned values. 
and and in a small company i think it's pretty important yeah, absolutely and we just clicked on the foodie sides you know he, he, i knew a lot already about australian australians and australian food and i think he kind of enjoyed that but also i had that consulting background that kind of validated my you know myth, my ability to to have a method, good methodology and be structured in my approach so um, after a couple of interviews i got in and um I stayed for three years at HelloFresh and I absolutely um, loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I think that that was my calling actually from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. You do that, you're in product, customer yeah. experience. Um, what was the one thing that was most unexpected about this role? So I initially joined to as what they called head of product and product at HelloFresh is not digital, it's physical. So it had nothing to do with the okay. website. And, and I knew that obviously when I joined, but basically I was managing, I was brought in as the manager of the recipe developers okay. at HelloFresh. So you yep. know how HelloFresh works, it's milk it. So you have a piece that is recipe development, then you have menu. So you know what recipes you put together every week to make the product appealing. Then you have the ingredients in the box. And then obviously you have all the operation, logistics and marketing. And initially, so I was um, brought in to manage the, the recipe developers in order to bring more of a data-driven approach, structure to what they were doing, because they were very talented um, ladies. But for sure, what was lacking is um, is being able to really optimize the, what they were doing. So you had a lot of repetition of ingredients across all recipes. You right. had margins one was not always really good because yes. of course, as a chef, you want your recipes to be to be delicious. And why would you try to decrease the cost of your recipe if no one is here to show you the impact of that cost decrease? So so very quickly, actually, I, I got um, kind of closer to the global team. And um, we, we kind of brainstormed and discussed the idea of creating customer experience team and what it was going to do it was going to kind of close the gap between operations and their um, big focus on margin and and low errors and, and efficiency with the customer centric yeah. piece that is really critical for a direct consumer brand um, in order obviously for the business to grow that's always the the end the end goal because I remember when I joined people were like uh, but you know, you, you you want to spend more. You only want to spend more. But no, basically, you want to create more value for the customer, and then you build sticky, stickiness and yes. you build volume, and that worked really well. So I'm really lucky that the CEO of, of HelloFresh Australia, so Tom Rutledge, um, trusted me with this. He, he kind of trusted my views. I think we were quite aligned, and I really pushed hard. I became, I guess, the voice of the customer. I didn't. I wasn't really afraid of of basically leveraging data and showing um, that we could just change a few things and really get somewhere. So during three years, HelloFresh grew quite a lot and I was lucky enough to be part of the of the journey uh, all the way to IPO. Yes. So it was, you know, a lot of work, but very, I mean, f f you, you you learned so fast. Yes. Um, and and it was it was amazing. It yeah. was really amazing. And and I think that if I wasn't given the chance to join HelloFresh, I would. I can, I think I can say comfortably that I wouldn't have necessarily started Valuable. Okay, so you've got this incredible, uh, I guess, conglomeration now of finance skills, consulting skills, product and marketing, customer focus. Sounds pretty rounded. 
why start Vitable? What was the moment where you go, I've seen an opportunity, uh, sounds like it was post IPO, but this is where I'm going to go. I'm going to go and start this company. What, how did that come about? I think a couple of things. So I mentioned my partner um, earlier, but he's um, he's already always, I think when he was younger, so he's slightly older than me, seven years older than me. So I think he's more advanced in his uh, self-reflection and he's always been reading a lot of self-development books and he kind of motivated me to because I still I was at HelloFresh but I still really didn't know where I was going because you know when you're in a startup and you're um, someone I guess someone like me who who always wants more at some time at some point you're capped yes w- yeah. where are you going to go, yeah. to go in the in the startup and but I still didn't know where I was going so he told me look um, and I kind of had a big um, effect on my mind I think I, so, sometimes I was not feeling I was feeling a bit down because you know there was a clash between I really need to figure out where I want to be and I'm here and I feel a bit stuck. So he told me to, to read Tony Robbins. So nothing okay. really original, uh, right? Un- unleashing the giant within? Awaken the giant within. Awaken the giant within. Um, and I know that he's polarizing, Tony Robbins, but I think he's just... I mean, he he, he talks about very basic principles, yeah. concepts, yep. but they're just right. I mean, I've read the book. A long time ago, but there were some key takeaways from the book. And I think control of your own destiny was probably the one thing that stuck with me from that book is how you can switch in your mind something and start doing it. And if you don't, then that's on you. And, and stop finding excuses for everything. Yeah, that, that really stuck with me. You know, what I took away from Tony Robbins, and I read the book three times because I think it's really something that, I need I need a refresher on once in a while, but the you're in control of your own destiny, hundred percent. Set a goal in your life. It can be in any aspect of your life, and the values. Yeah, that was absolutely for me incredible. I had never thought about what about my values and how they could clash. Yes. So my f- I think my first value was um, freedom. I think, and my second value was. Uh, success. I'm just, I think, but they, they don't go together. They, yeah. they can't work together because success is working hard, perhaps, and 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 freedom is not wanting to be attached to anything. So, so I think uh, my my top two ones. I did a professional, you know, assessment, like value assessment, and top is honesty. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, um, great. <laughs> sometimes it's a bit, you know, sometimes I can, let's say I can be a bit pushy with the honesty piece, but my second one is perseverance. Yeah. And I think that's quite accurate. Um, okay. So now I'm going to delve into Vitable a bit. The opportunity though, like how did it come up? First of all, I actually um, was, well, so when I was at HelloFresh, I think at some point I, I was kind of, over overdoing overdoing it in terms of, of work so I was having I was drinking so many coffee coffees every day I was working um, quite hard at least putting a lot of pressure on myself putting a lot of pressure on myself and uh, not sleeping really well and not eating really well so at some point it really took a toll on my health and I was feeling very very lethargic and I had never felt like this before because I was brought up in a family where we ate very 
very balanced food. Yeah. You have a lot of veggies. And then, you know, once in a while you have your little treats. But it was quite kind of natural for us. I had never really felt that before. And I, as anyone would do, I went to the doctor. And the doctor prescribed, I think, a couple of blood tests and couldn't really find anything critical and so told me that I was fine. Um, I remember even feeling that they were looking at me as if I was almost lying or, or exaggerating my symptoms. And I was not worried specifically of having something bad, but just I wanted that, I wanted to understand what was wrong with yeah. me. And uh, they couldn't help me. And I, I felt terrible. And I was lucky enough to have someone in my team, Kate, who is a nutritionist. And she was also, on top of being a nutritionist, absolutely passionate about educating people about health and, and, and nutrition. And, and that was great because without me asking for anything, she kind of started educating me, you know, but not in a pushy way. She's actually, um, she, she was actually great in that way. She would always give you the research and the data behind it. But look, I'll just put it out there, not pushing you. And because I'm a skeptic and, I liked it and I kind of started integrating that. So she started telling me, you know, coffee works several times a day. It's not necessarily recommended. It increases your cortisol levels. If you're already stressed, that kind of clashes. Um, I was exercising as well uh, as a way of um, kind of winding down and actually was winding me up. It was doing the uh, opposite effect because I was working um, out hard instead of doing yoga or slow walks and so she started really teaching me a few things and, and she said, look, if you're really feeling low energy and, and she could see I had the, the brain fog and sometimes I, had, I was stuttering. I had, it was really, really bad. And she said, look, try to take these two supplements. Um, and it was zinc and B vitamins. Gosh, yep. And you'll see after a few days, you'll feel better. And I said, like, I don't believe in magic pills. And <laughs> she said, no, these specifically help you transform food into energy. Yes. And because they do, they can, they actually, you will feel an effect after one or two days. It's not a long-term thing. And, you know, most people who don't eat much meat or much seafood are deficient in, in zinc, for example. And B vitamins, most of the population is deficient anyway. So you should just try it. And I swear, after three, four days, I already felt a difference. So I was not 100%, but I was already much, much better. And so that I really had an epiphany and I thought, okay, okay, there is something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I swear I went from, on a scale from zero to 10, I went from two to eight in three, four weeks. Yeah. Thanks to her, yeah. 100% thanks to her. Yeah. And I thought, I'm curious. I think I'm healthy. I, I thought I was healthy. I thought I could figure it out um, and I could not. And so I started asking some friends around me, some people around me, and I realized that I was not the only one having energy issues, experiencing energy slumps in the afternoon, um, having trouble sleeping, and just, you know, having all, like having dry hair or my hair falling out, like all these things. And I thought that there was an opportunity somewhere to help people figure it out in an easy way. Because not, because it took me so, so long to trust Kate, and listen to her that I think that's not necessarily the most scalable way because you need to build, I feel, that relationship okay. or you need to be very, very down, I think, yeah. to, to say, okay, I'll go to see a naturopath or a nutritionist. It's also quite expensive yes. if you don't have the luxury of having that person in your team. Yeah. And so 
that's where I started thinking about variable and I started thinking about a, a very easy way for people to to guide I think people with their with their health and I looked at the Australian market and it's quite an educated market for vitamins so 75% of Australians have taken vitamins in the past it's it's very very high penetration rate for yeah. for a for a, a product I mean a similar product and so I thought that perhaps we didn't need to start from scratch we could help guide people make the right choices and that's why we came up with the quiz yeah so we build that quiz where we ask you a few questions about your lifestyle diet and health goals and then based on your answers we'll match you right to some products yes okay so this is the curation of customer engagement that starts from the moment you're sort of thinking there's something for me out there i just don't know where to start the quiz is this first level of getting a dialogue with the customer exactly yeah exactly and and also in um helping them also easily assess their need or or you know or or give them the give them that level of guidance easily without them having to yeah consult um nutritionists or naturopaths necessarily because most of the the vitamins are bought as most people go to a pharmacy or online and buy their own vitamins anyways. Um, the problem is that they don't necessarily buy the right vitamins. They don't necessarily buy the right quality vitamins because there is a lot of different, you know, quality standards. And they end up or, and, or they hide it in the cupboard and they forget to take them. So either they throw their money in, in any case, they throw their money in the bin. So they don't take the right products. So it's not going to work. Or they just don't take it. They buy it, but they don't take it, which is majority of people. And so it, it's also wasted. So the, giving them a better, you know, an access to, to recommendation was step one. Yep. At least I will, I will give you something that you, you need. Yes. And something that will help you with your problems. And then the second piece is being able to give them in a convenient way. How can we help people also remember to take their vitamins every yes. day? Yeah. And so at the time I was still at HealthFresh and I was thinking about all these ideas and, and I was, um, I knew that I wanted to explore it a little bit more. And, uh, and after a few, a few months, I just decided to, you know, leave HelloFresh and just focus 100% on my project. Right. And that was December 20, 18. Yep. Three months later, we got um, a seed investment from Rocket Internet. Yes. Who are also the investors of Head of Fresh, um, the iconic delivery hero. Perfect. And um, and I guess because I had built good relationship relationship with the global team at Head of Fresh and the new uh, Rocket, I, I was able to get a good recommendation, and that was really helpful. So we got imp- we got to see investment and we knew exactly what we the model we wanted to build. So in, in a few weeks we had built an MVP version and the MVP version was the quiz and the recommendation. Yep. And continue. And that's it. I kind yes. of stop you there. So we just to see if there was a product market fit, because there was um a lot of work involved in built in manufacturing our yeah, own vitamins yeah, sure. that was a whole different piece and at the time there was also i mean there is still um it's also, it's a very regulated market yep. very very heavily ma- regulated by the therapeutic therapeutic good administration tga 
And that's a good thing because it builds barriers to entry, massive barriers to entry. Yep. But I remember when I started, everyone was telling me, you're crazy. You won't be able to do it. It's not, it's impossible to do in Australia. And I love this kind of things. I love like the challenge. challenge. <laughs> exactly. And I thought it's impossible. And what I thought was Australia is, you know, they, Australia is really good at um, understanding that they need to be competitive, you know, in some markets. And I know that even if it's not possible today, and I didn't know exactly if it was or not, it will be. Because there are more and more of these models that, yep. you know, where you recommend vitamins and you do direct to consumer, direct to consumer models. Um, and so the Australia cannot forbid Australian brands to do it and let American brands come in. You know what I mean? And so I, I knew it was possible. So we worked really hard to make it possible. And we started um, developing our own products. Yes. So I worked with health uh, experts, obviously, TGA experts, naturopaths, to make sure that we were developing high-quality products, products that work. Yes. Direct-to-consumer brand, you cannot with hide. With existing manufacturers, so you didn't set up your own manufacturing at this point in time? No, it's very common. Even the big brands uh, contract manufacture. Yeah. I'm interested in how you then personalize the the vitamins yeah so we we personalize the the packs so let's say if you if you get um if you tell me that you exercise a lot and you tell me that you um have trouble sleeping i would recommend you magnesium and i would recommend ashwagandha it's a ayurvedic herb um and i will then give put these two capsules into a, a sachet and i will ship 30 sachets monthly to your doorstep and that helps with the consistency of taking your vitamins it helps you because it, it it's not you know multiple bottles you can put it on your desk next to your computer yeah. and you remember to take them yeah. so initially we we started small so we we always did um, everything within the regulation but we started with a smaller um, packer we call it a packer and then we had we started having access obviously to bigger and bigger uh manufacturing manufacturing companies or or, or repacker um, and that has been really good because now we we are to i guess at the stage where we we have built really strong relationships with all our suppliers yes and to be honest now that i think about it i'm very grateful that i was able to convince a few of them at the very beginning before even the company was registered to trust us and listen to me and and accept to uh, manufacture small smaller quantity than they would do for their other qu clients and listen to my crazy ideas because I have this dream of of creating only very clean products and it's not necessarily the standard of the industry. I think, I think we learned earlier on with your letter to Deloitte that you're quite <laughs> persuasive. I always try to find you know what what's in for them and and, yes. and try to really speak people's people's language yeah. you know and and in a very um, win-win way yes so growth is you know on the horizon things are going well where do you see this going is this beyond australia's borders or is it just let's dominate in every state and territory in australia first so we already ship to singapore and new zealand uh, from australia so we definitely consider more geographic expansion in the future in in geographies where it would it would make sense um, in terms of where I see it going, we actually just launched um, this week our app, mobile app, first one, first version. So that was new for us as well because it's the first time we built uh, an app. And the objective of the app 
Um, and, and I'm really, I should have said before, I mean, I, I mentioned with HelloFresh, but I'm extremely, extremely costu customer focused because I think that if you understand the behavior and psychology behind the behaviors of your customers, you really can find a solution to any problem. But it's a matter of reading it with an open mind. And for the app, we I did a lot of customer interviews trying to understand how they were how they were consuming vitamins before Vitable, if they were, and then how they're consuming vitamins with Vitable and what are the remaining pain points of the of the of the experience and how we can even you know improve it even more. And to go back to your question about vision, there is still so much to do in the personalized space. Uh, you know, we, I started with the vitamins, but I really want to basically Kate was my inspiration, uh, our, you know, our nutritionist at HelloFresh. And I want to extend that level of recommendation and personalization to more lifestyle and, and diet, um, tips like wellness overall, basically. How yes. can, can we really tailor you, you, you make consumer health easier is yes. kind of the, is kind of the, of the motto. How can you help you feel? I can help you feel at your best uh, by make, making small changes to your lifestyle, diet, and and nutrition. Then talk to me about your philosophy on on business. I would say, especially for when you join when you join a startup or when you start um, a company, one thing that I would say is is you know you you will always have people around you who will tell you that it's not a good idea, um, that you're making a mistake, that you can't do it and you'll be surprised how many of your even friends or family members say that and it comes from a good place um it's not i'm sure it doesn't come from a mean place or malicious place but they still say it and they still don't help you feel confident that yes. things can go well and it's such a big leap of faith that my advice would be to always just believe that you can do it and it's so important and and that was so important even during the the fundraising that that I did you know it's um it's very it's very hard it's a roller coaster <laughs> fundraising and I think anyone would agree and I think if you start day one and you say okay I'll do it and the only outcome is that I raise x amount of money and by that date very important <laughs> and you just you just do it and every day you remind yourself and I know it sounds very easy yeah okay uh, think that every that it's possible but i think that no one else would do it for you yes. no one else will give you the confidence unless you some people will there will always be people who really strongly believe in you regardless of anything and they will tell you yeah i know you can do it and i'm proud of you but most of the time they won't and i think that telling yourself i can do it and i'm the only one who knows how to do it and and how to get there and can push to get there is really really important self-belief self-belief yeah it seems to be a recurring theme yeah well listen we're going to get off the business side um we're going to get on to the quick fire round which i always finish off with um what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever said to you wow i think i mean maybe not ever said to me but Recently, we had a dinner with uh, with friends, and we were playing that game. I don't know where we started playing that game, but where we say one tr one uh, uh, p positive truth about you and one negative, tr not negative, but one improvement point, because we felt that we felt that amongst friends, you don't necessarily say anything nice or anything truthful. And I got 
I don't know, I got really, really nice feedback from from them that said that they were I was one of the um, one of the most generous people they knew. And I did I never I thought I was generous, but I never felt that acknowledged for it. And uh, so it really kind of touched me That's in nice. a way. Mm. Yeah. Who is the one person, dead or alive, you'd like to sit down with and have a chat with today? Oh, it's a hard one. Maybe Alan Watts. He's a philosopher. Okay. If you could go any place in the world now for lunch, where would it be? I would go to my hometown in Morocco. I knew you were going to say that. And I will go and it makes me a bit emotional because <laughs> with COVID, I mean, we, we have no, no view of when even we'll be able to mm. go. Um, but there's this little fisherman's village called, we call it 14 because it's 14 kilometers from the center, city center. It's as basic as that. And there's a, a guy, a, fisher, a fisherman who makes uh, grilled uh, seafood. Wow. And uh, it's a nice place. It's, it's a plastic table in yeah. the sun with like a paper cloth. And it brings you your grilled fish with fries and oh. some salads. And I used to go there on Sundays with my parents. And I remember you can call the guy on his cell phone. It's not even a restaurant. It's time. Can you save that table for me? And he would do it. And it, yeah, it's a really good memory. Simple pleasures. Huh? A simp- uh, simplest food uh, you, you can find. Yes, yeah. but delicious. Amazing. What culture fascinates you? I think Buddhism yeah. fascinates me a lot because I think it's all, you know, the values that I think more humans should, ha- should have. I think, you know, respect of, of each other and, and love for each other and more empathy. What advice would you give to young entrepreneurs? Young in terms of uh, age or in terms of early in their journey? I think probably early in their journey, actually. Okay. I would tell them to, yeah, to basically surround themselves probably with people who will support them, to try to find a mentor. And I will tell them, I mean, I mean the same thing. I would tell them, make sure that you uh, believe in yourself, believe in your ID, still keep an open mind because you don't know what you don't know. So you cannot be you cannot be arrogant in, in what you think you know in that sense. Be open, but still keep your ID and be and, and keep your objective. Perfect. Lara, thank you very much for your uh, time away from Vitable. Good luck with the uh, continued expansion. Hope to see some explosive growth or more explosive growth in 2021 and the years ahead. And thank you very much for sharing your story and your thoughts on discipline. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the, the chat and... It was a really nice time, actually. Fantastic. 